Hello and welcome to Cumber Baptist Church Podcast. The following is taken from our morning service, Sunday 2nd of February, 2020. This morning we are joined by Pastor Clifford Morrison, who takes his reading from 1 Kings, chapter 18, verses 1 to 16, and brings us a message entitled, A Man Called Obadiah. You'll find our Bible reading this morning in 1 Kings, chapter 18. 1 Kings, chapter 18. We're going to commence at verse 1 and read the first 16 verses. And this is God's word. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. And Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. And when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. And Ahab said to Obadiah, Go through the land to all the springs of water and to all the valleys. And perhaps you may find grass and save the horses and mules alive and not lose some of the animals. So they divided the land between them to pass through it. And Ahab went in one direction by himself, and Obadiah went in another direction by himself. And as Obadiah was on the way, behold, Elijah met him. And Obadiah recognized him and fell on his face and said, It is you, my lord, Elijah. And he answered him, It is I. Go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here. And he said, How have I sinned that you would give your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my Lord has not sent to seek you. And when they would say he is not here, he would take an oath of the kingdom or nation that they had not found you. And now you say, Go tell your Lord. Behold, Elijah is here. And as soon as I have gone from you, the Spirit of the Lord will carry you, I know not where. And so when I come and tell Ahab, and he cannot find you, he will kill me. And why, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Has it not been told, my Lord, what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord? How I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. And now you say, Go tell your Lord. Behold, Elijah is here, and he will kill me. And Elijah said, As the Lord of hosts lives, before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab, and told him. And Ahab went to meet Elijah. Father, we thank you for your word. And as we have opened it this morning and read from it, we pray now for the help of the Holy Spirit. We ask that he may be our teacher and that we will have teachable spirits and that we will not resist the Spirit of God but receive the Word as it is, the Word of the Lord. We pray this in our Savior's name. Amen. 
We see from our reading from the 18th chapter of 1 Kings that it was time for the servant of God, the prophet Elijah, to take another step in the will of God. His long rest at Zarephath with the widow was brought to an end with a further word from the Lord. And it was time for him to show himself to Ahab the king because the severe famine was about to be brought to an end. And when Elijah set out to find the king, the first man he came across was this man, Obadiah, who was governor of the palace. The Holy Spirit records that this man feared the Lord greatly. But as we read these verses and consider what we've read this morning, all was not well with this man's life and witness. Someone has described him as a saint in the wrong place. What can we glean from what we've read this morning regarding this man, Obadiah? Well, the first thing I want you to see this morning is that here was a man who was divided in his loyalty. He was divided in his loyalty. There was much about Obadiah that was commendable and good, and the inspired historians tell us of that. We learned this morning that when Ahab sought to destroy all the prophets of God and so stamp all divine testimony out of his dominion, this man took a hundred of them and he hid them by fifty in a cave and fed them with bread and water. We read that in verse 4. It's true that he feared God, that he had regard for the prophets of Jehovah, but the fact of the matter was this that he was also timorous to confess the Lord before men. In reality, he lacked moral strength. He lacked what we might call backbone and character to stand out as being different in a land and in a palace that had been utterly corrupted with heathenism and apostasy. Obadiah was a man who wanted to have the best of both worlds. There are two things I want you to see in his divided loyalty. First of all, he was divided in his loyalty to the person of Jehovah. If this man had taken his religion seriously, he ought to have been living a life to the praise and glory of God. But in reality, he was trying to serve two masters. He was looking for the praise of men and the praise of God. He was trying to serve a heathen king and be faithful to God at the same time. He was trying to do the impossible. Reminds me of the words of the Lord Jesus to his disciples in Matthew 6 and verse 24. No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other. Or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. No man can be a slave to two owners. No man can serve. The the word is slave. The word master carries with it the idea of absolute ownership. And there are two things we need to understand about the slave in the ancient world. In the eyes of the law, he was not a person but a thing. He had absolutely no rights of his own. His master could do absolutely with him whatever he liked. 
In the eyes of the law, the slave was a living tool in the hands of his master. His master could sell him, beat him, throw him out, and even kill him. His master possessed him as completely as he possessed any of his material possessions. And secondly, in the ancient world, the slave had literally no time that was his own. Every moment of his life belonged to his master. And Jesus Christ takes up this thought and applies it to the believer's relationship with their heavenly master. In regards to God, we have no rights of our own. God must be the undisputed master of our lives. Do you remember what the Lord Jesus Christ said? Not my will, but thy will. And I find that it's easier to sing about this than it is to live it out in my daily life. It's so easy to sing, I surrender all. All to Jesus I surrender. I surrender all. Follow, follow. I will follow Jesus. Wherever he leads me, I will follow on. Here I am, holy available. As for me, I will serve the Lord. You see, Obadiah had misplaced the Almighty and was serving another rather than Jehovah. In actual fact, he had dethroned the true God and enthroned a false God. You know, as I think about this this morning, there's a sense of guilt in my heart. Are there not times more often when the spirit of Obadiah is in me and in all of us rather than the spirit of Christ? When I was a young believer, the word worldly, was very much in the Christian vocabulary. And I grew up under the teaching that, you know, worldliness meant you didn't go to certain places, you weren't found in certain company, and you didn't wear certain colors of clothing. But, you know, I read a definition of worldliness that stirred me and searched my heart. From the first day I I read it, it was by an author called Guy King, an old author. And he said this, that worldliness is the unworthy divisions of the affections of the heart. Worldliness is the unworthy division of the affections of the heart. Do you remember when the Lord Jesus took Peter for a little walk in his post-resurrection experience in John 21, three questions he asked them. Do you love me? Do you really love me? Do you really, really love me? And of course he was challenging Peter about his heart. And so often we can conform to man-made rules and regulations and create the impression we are spiritual when all the time our hearts can be cold and indifferent, and we don't love the Lord the way we ought to love Him. Under this morning is their divided loyalty. How easy we can compromise our testimony, which leaves us powerless, anemic, when it comes to taking our stand on the Lord's side. Who is on the Lord's side? We sing. Who will serve the King? 
Obadiah needed to learn that one cannot effectively serve God with divided loyalties. He was divided, secondly, in his loyalty to the people of God. What must those prophets have thought of the stand that he was taking? He had been brave enough to risk his life in giving them protection from the king, but he wasn't brave enough to take a stand with them. It would seem that he was scourged stiff of nailing his colors to the mass, and because he failed in his own personal testimony, he was letting the whole side down. He was responsible for bringing the true religion of God into disrepute. In other words, he was divided in his loyalty to the people of God. And in a very real sense, each one of us is a guardian of Christianity and true faith. And when you and I fail to live for God and take our stand as we should, we bring a slur upon all those who name the name of Christ. Our testimony in the world at large can be marred or it can make the church's testimony live and be vital. We have a responsibility. Do you remember what Paul said in Romans 14 and verse 7? He says, For none of us live to himself and no one dies to himself. You know, it's like a little pebble in the pond and you throw the pebble in the pond and you just don't know where the ripples go. David sinned. And he sinned in adultery with Bathsheba. And he sinned in murdering Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. And here is what the, the scripture tells us. By this deed, this is what Nathan said to David. By this deed... You have given great occasion to the enemies of God to blaspheme. That's a powerful, penetrating word. By your deed, because of what you have done, you have given occasion for the enemies of God to blaspheme. That's a challenge to me this morning. That I might live my life in such a way that my neighbors will not blaspheme the name of God because of the way I live. That my colleagues at work will not blaspheme the name of God because of the way I live. That God's name will be honored, that God's name will be glorified. That my family will honor the name of God because of the way I live. We have just come into a new week. And in the will of God, we'll find ourselves in different places among different people. Your week will be different from my, my week. You will encounter things that I will not encounter. I will encounter things that you will not encounter. You will touch people that I will not touch. I will touch people that you will not touch. But throughout this week, we have a potential to either glorify God in our witness or grieve the Holy Spirit. Here was a man who was divided in his loyalty. Loyalty to the person of Jehovah and loyalty to the people of God. Secondly, he was devoted to his life. He was devoted to his life. When Elijah met Obadiah on his way to see the king, he gave him a command, verse 8, Go tell your Lord Elijah that I am here. 
No doubt Elijah expected ready obedience from the king's governor. But we see here that Obadiah objected. First of all, he spoke of the danger to himself. Then he told how Ahab had inquired of many people in seeking to find Elijah because they were determined to slay Elijah if they got their hands on him. And if Obadiah had been an honest man, he would have confessed to wanting to preserve his own life even at the expense of Elijah's. On three occasions, he speaks here in verse 9, verse 12, verse 14, He will kill me. He will kill me. If I do what you want me to do, he will kill me. Note the character of the life he was living. Verse 3 tells us that he was the governor of Ahab's house. And holding this position, Obadiah had a certain amount of influence and prestige as well as power. He would have been regarded and respected by many in the courts of the palace. He was devoted to all the things that the world had to offer. And the sad thing was that he chose this kind of life at the expense of his principles. He sacrificed what he knew to be right because he wanted to hold a place of honor among a heathen people. Now hold on to that this morning. And think how different Moses was. Here's what we read about Moses in Hebrews chapter 11. We read that by faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Choosing to, rather to suffer afflictions with the people of God, rather to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked for a reward in heaven. So different from Obadiah. Look at the consequences of the life that Obadiah was living. Obadiah failed to make the impact which he should have done in the palace of Ahab. He belonged to a category of people that are still around today which say, don't carry your belief too far. You ever hear people say that? Don't go too far. Don't go over the top. Of course he couldn't agree to all that was going on around him. But then, it was not for him to do anything. I have no doubt that he was often shocked at what he had heard and what he had seen. But a deaf ear and a blind eye was his convenient way out. You see, for him to take a stand... To speak out would have probably meant death. And maybe he was in the same mold of Lot of old, who had so compromised through his behavior that when he spoke up on a matter of great importance regarding the spiritual well-being of his sons-in-law, the Bible records this sad response on the part of his sons-in-law. Listen to what we read in Genesis 19 and verse 14. We read that Lot went out, and Lot spoke to his sons-in-law, who had married his daughters. And he said, Get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. Then the Bible tells us this. But to his sons-in-law, Lot seemed as one that mocked. They thought it was just a joke. You see, what had happened was simply this, that Lot had so compromised in his witness that his words were ineffective. His words fell silent because his life was not a reflection of what his words represented. What does the Apostle Paul say? Paul says this, 
for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. I become saddened in the life of the church today when I see the increase of a community of professing Christians who don't seem to have a conviction about anything. No conviction about the Lord's day and how we conduct ourselves on the Lord's day. No conviction about an evening service. No conviction about prayer. No conviction about outreach and evangelism. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. He says, what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. I have met people in life and across their life, you can write these words, don't do what I do, but just listen to what I say. Paul cannot fall into that category. He says, what you've heard, what you have Learn from me, as I have taught the Word of God, as I've shared the Scriptures with you, as I've shared the glorious message of the Gospel and the implications of that message for your life, what you have learned and what you've received and heard and seen in me, do practice these things. Here was Obadiah, divided in his loyalty, Devoted to his own life. And a man, thirdly, and finally, who was destitute of lowliness. It's quite obvious from what we have read this morning that Obadiah feared the consequences of having to carry Elijah's message to the king. And in order to excuse himself, he pleads his kindness and goodness to the prophets of God. Was it not reported to you? Have you not heard? Not heard what I did? I took a hundred of the prophets and I hid them by fifty in the cave and I fed them and I gave them bread and I gave them water. And while Elijah is bemoaning all the things that are displeasing to the Lord, the state and the condition of the nation, Obadiah here is boasting of the things that he had done for the Lord. You see, Obadiah did what maybe I would do, maybe what all of us would do. He pointed to statistics as proof of his faithfulness to God. He gave the number of the prophets, a hundred of them. He had helped them. And the amount of bread and water he had supplied, and yet he was scared stiff to stand up and be counted as one who belonged to the God of Israel. And such behavior is a sad reflection upon the people of God when they talk the way Obadiah talked here. Betraying a lack of of true humility before the Almighty. And the Pharisees, of course, were masters at this, weren't they? And that's what Jesus meant when he said to them in Matthew chapter 6, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they have the glory of men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Then he says this, when you pray, You shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. And surely I say unto you, they have the reward. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear to be men to be fasting. Assuredly, they have the reward. And here's the lesson 
that comes to us all this morning. We need to remember that whatever we may be able to achieve for God, it's only because of His grace. It's only because His grace has saved us. It's only because His grace allows us and enables us to fulfill His calling in our lives. We are sinners. Sinners saved by the grace of God. We are called saints. Saints that are sustained by that same grace. And we are what we are by the grace of God. And so we have nothing at the end of the day to boast about. Not have I gotten, says the old hymn, but what I receive. Grace has bestowed it, says I first believe. Boast and exclude it. Pride I abase. I'm only a sinner saved by grace. At the very best, we should be seeking to cultivate the grace of humility in our lives. Remember what we read in Micah chapter 6. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? Do you remember what James says in James 4 and 10? Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Augustine, the old church father, used to say, for those who would really and truly learn the ways of God, there are three lessons. Humility is the first lesson. Humility is the second lesson. And humility is the third lesson. And instead of boasting about what we have done, we should take the humble station and give thanks to what the Lord has done. And what we do should be a reflection of our appreciation of what the Lord has done. The psalmist says, The Lord has done great things for us, whereof we are glad. If it's possible to learn from other men's mistakes, and I'm sure it is, there is no doubt that Obadiah made three major ones, recorded here in 1 Kings, divided in his loyalty, devoted to his own life, and destitute of lowliness. Obadiah fears death from Ahab if he delivers the message for other reasons. If he delivers the message without bringing Elijah with him, it could mean death for him. Elijah was on the most wanted list. If he delivers the message, he may worry what the king thinks that he actually harbored him and took care of him. If he delivers the message and Elijah doesn't show up at all but disappears, then the king may kill him for letting him slip through his fingers. Obadiah may have believed that God took him away in the first place. If he delivers the message, Elijah could be killed by the king. He may feel that he would be Elijah's executioner or his own executioner. Verse 13 sounds like Obadiah saying, I've done my part already. I've put my life on the line. Why should I do it again? And you and I shouldn't fall into this trap or in this way of thinking. You see, if you've no more service to give for God, if you've no more service to bring to the Lord, you wouldn't be here this morning. You'd be in heaven. Our work is immortal until God is finished with it. 
in this life. And you're still something to do for the Lord. Should there be quiet, prayerful intercession every day? Should that be sharing a word in season with a neighbor and a friend? Should that be living out our Christian faith every day, just where God has placed us? Oh, this morning, may we realize the privilege and the responsibility that is ours, and also the joy, the joy in serving the Lord. Maybe this morning you're not as joyful as you once were. Joyful as you should be. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And our strength is His strength. And His strength is only made perfect in our weakness. We thank God for His Word. May He bless it to all our hearts. Let's pray together. Father, we humble ourselves before you this morning. And we thank you for your precious word of truth. We remember what Paul says, that these things were written aforetime for our learning. We pray that you'll help us to learn the lessons from the life of this servant of God, Obadiah. And we pray that we will not be divided in our loyalty, in our love for God, and in our desire to serve him. Lord, we thank you that we come now in our service to celebrate the death of our Savior, your Son, the Lord Jesus, one who was loyal to the very end, one who was not divided in his love for all of us who know him this morning. And as we celebrate his love and his mercy and his goodness and grace, may our hearts go out in true worship, praise and adoration for Jesus' sake. Amen. We come.